don't forget, you're going to die. Welcome to the We Croak Podcast, where we talk about all the things we don't talk about enough, starting with death, but not ending with there. I am your host, Hansa Bergwall, and this was kind of a scary interview for me personally, uh, because I'm so used to having a book that I can read before uh, talking to this person and think of thoughtful questions so that I look good and everything like this. And uh, this time I didn't have that because our author doesn't have a book because he's a rock star. Uh, <laughs> it's Alex Ebert, the frontman to Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros. Um, that had that wildly popular song, Home, which um, almost everyone has heard if you want to Spotify it or something. And uh, I've really been a fan for a long time, so this was a really exciting, although scary, conversation. And uh, I really, really like it, and I hope you do too. Uh, definitely let us know what you thought, though, if you want us to have uh, more rock stars on or never do it again or, or what. Uh, but I hope you like it. Here is our conversation with Alex Ebert of Edward Sharp and the Minetic Zeros. Thank you so much for having me. So where are you today? I'm in New Orleans, Louisiana. And that's where you're sort of holding up in this quarantine period. Can you just describe what, uh, how uh, these last couple of weeks have been uh, different for you? Yeah, um, they've been interesting. At first I thought I was gonna get a lot of work done being that I was sort of alone. and But then I found myself sort of going with the flow of the zeitgeist. I think I was being somehow influenced um, by the general, the general vibe. So I ended up sort of unplugging even more uh, instead of trying to connect harder. And that was really special because it's not something I'd done. And I think the last time I did something like that was about 11 years ago. And... Um, yeah, so I unplugged. I would just hang out in the sun. I started meditating like pretty regularly, taking ice baths. I was doing all these sort of beneficial nice. things. <laughs> what what style of meditation were you doing? I've studied a various styles, but um, the thing that I love doing the best is um, is inventing my own styles, and um, I find that really important. It's how I started, um, and once in a while, I'll discover that some of the styles that I, I sort of thought I invented are actually extraordinarily similar to, um, you know, more institutional sort of taught, um, prescribed styles. But, um, and by styles, it's funny, I feel like I'm, I just watched a Kung Fu movie, I feel like we're talking about. Um, but there are many different styles to meditation, actually. And um, thousands, actually. Yeah, thousands, yeah. Um, like innumerable. Um, especially when you start just making them up as you go. But when I was a kid, I would, um, I loved playing with uh, direction of my breath, in my mind anyway. And so all these different visions of um, which ways the breath were going and shapes and movement. And and that, that really was my favorite way. And it basically still is. It's sort of like, um, it's sort of like painting or intimating, um, directional breathing um I'm, probably one of my favorites is uh is something that i know is you know i think i think it's got a, a various names holotropic breathing circular breathing but the idea of just like um not allowing there to be any space between the inhalation and exhalations um that is really powerful i, I used to use that on stage a lot if i was experiencing anxiety or anything 
Yeah, yeah, those pranayama breathing exercises are mm -hmm. really powerful. So that's really cool that your creativity even goes into your meditation. Uh, but before we get too far into that, why don't you share with our listeners just like, you know, how you got, you know, into this, uh, you know, apartment in New Orleans with a music career. I know um, Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros and your solo career and just talk a little bit about being um, the singer songwriter that you are. Yeah. Um, well, let's see where to begin. I guess I guess for me, initially, music and expression um, were my first sort of the only things I cared about when I was a kid, um, starting probably at the age of five or so. Uh, I just I just really loved making things and creating. And um, and I think that the a sense of uh, I, I was always extremely rebellious, but but my mom especially sort of encouraged my artistic streak because there was really not much else to encourage um, except maybe my sports, uh, certainly not school. Yeah, I think that it always felt like an avenue for me to express my my sense of rebelliousness spiritually, psychically, um, and even physically. And essentially, that rebelliousness is um, is tantamount to exploration. I think that you know, being sort of dissatisfied with whatever was happening in the moment and rebelling against. Um, I guess, lack of a better term, the status quo of my life. And um, and that rebellion sort of launching me into various explorations, be they, you know, lyrically or visually or, you know, uh, any kind of storytelling. And um, and that persisted for a while until I decided I wanted to make movies. So I, I, um, I went to Emerson in Boston just for a year. My school was so bad I couldn't get into a... NYU just because I was just such a terrible, terrible, terrible student. Um, I dropped out after the first year because I, I was not satisfied with that either and wrote a screenplay, came back to LA. And then on the side, I just picked up a keyboard and, and beat machine and started just as a hobby making music again. And then that kind of took over. And, um, and I think that, you know, speaking of back when I was five and given the nature of this this uh, podcast um when i was five is when i discovered my mortality and I, and I do think that my creative my creativity is intensely wound up in um in my deliberations with sort of um yeah mortality and and you know everything from the impending sort of death uh kicking me in the ass and making me sort of expedite my processes um to Death itself lending every moment um, that extra bit of weight uh, that sort of graduates beauty into poetry, you know, because you're aware that this moment is is going to pass. And that that always hit me right away. So I guess I've always felt like a poet in that sense. To me, that is sort of poetry is the acknowledgement of um, of the inevitability that each thing will pass and that that sort of extra a bit of emotion that comes along with that understanding. And I think in a lot of ways, I try and convey that somehow uh, through whatever I do. Yeah, it's in your, your music everywhere. And five is really early to have that kind of <laughs> state of mind. Did, did something happen or did, were you just one of those kids that uh, got it? 
No, so I was drawing a Native American. Uh, I remember the instant it happened. I believe my I believe my grandmother. I believe my grandmother had died, and so I was aware of death. Um, but I was drawing a picture of Red Cloud. I believe it was Red Cloud, uh, Indian chief, and um, I was in my dad's study, and all of a sudden, it hit me. I'll never forget it. And I, and I walked up to his chair. Uh, he was like doing taxes or something. And I, I tapped on it. He turned around. I asked him if it was true that I was going to die. And he said, yeah, like really simple, dry exchange. And I went back to the pillow I was sitting on and kept drawing. But like a different person like uh my life just changed in that moment it was uh, everything became more meaningful in a way yeah yeah tell me about edward sharp this is a, a character you created right yeah um yeah like my my meditations were pro like profound enough early on that i that i was trying to sort of explain them to myself also um when I was eight, uh, my, my father gave me a middle name that he didn't consult with my mom over uh, called Takits. And um, he just sort of put it on the birth certificate. And my mom said, you know, what does that mean? And he said, I don't know. <laughs> uh, it's just the name of a mountain that I like. And um, so they went there. They tried to find out what it meant. And they said, you got to ask the local uh, tribe. And so they did, and they said, oh, yeah, Takits, that means uh, demon. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and um, so I, 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 I had that going for me. And then I, when I was about eight, uh, I, had a, I was sort of visited by some sort of demonic uh, presence uh, when I was in, uh, on a Navajo reservation. Uh, it was during um, Haley's Comet. And... Um, Anyway, and that's a whole episode. That actually, it's represented in one of my music videos, a song called Desert Song for Edward Sharp. So if anyone's interested in seeing a relatively accurate representation of what happened that night. Um, but so then I had those two things and then those started stacking up. And then um, when I started doing psychedelics and whatnot, I started really getting a sense that there were sort of... Uh, well, that there are sort of spirits out there that were talking to me, not to sound totally crazy, but uh, yeah, that's my experience. And that I was trying to explain what the fuck those voices were. Um, and in trying to explain those voices, um, the sort of the good and the bad and, and, and all that, um, I started writing a story about a, a character named Edward Sharp. The idea was that um, there was sort of that humans are a proxy uh, and, and the proxy war is being waged by sort of this uh, benevolent um, like individuals that sort of have passed on and part of this light, um, these, this light masters, I called them. And then the dark, uh, the darker force was um, people that had passed on largely negatively and contributing to the sort of negative force and what they would do is whisper at humans and that's why we have sort of positive and negative intuitions and we'd hear these sort of voices and the light masters started really losing and they were going to lose the whole fucking enchilada so they decided all of them 
to whisper just at one human. They were going to send down one human, and from birth, everybody's going to focus on just one instead of whispering at everyone across the globe so that the darkness couldn't drown them out. And that character was Edward Sharp. And um, the only problem was he kept falling in love and getting distracted. And so it's this sort of like dark comedy um, story about uh, about this character. And one of his superpowers was that he was able to um, see objects and people and beings and all of life essentially as strings. Um, uh, he saw the underlying architecture of things and he was able to play those strings and essentially make music from those things. And while making music from those things and seeing their sort of superstructure, uh, he could manipulate matter. And that was sort of his superpower. So it essentially became a musical in my mind. And, um, and then a math was born from that that I invented called magnetic zeros, where zero was magnetic. It was sort of this gravitational pendular addition, depending on the magnitude of zero. Um, it would sort of, the, the number would sort of swing across zero. Um, and that was it. And then I was like, you know, Edward Sharp and the magnetic zero sounds kind of fun. Uh, so I started a MySpace page and, um, yeah, started putting demos up. <laughs> Wow. It's a lot. <laughs> it's, it's a wild, you know, far out character and story. And, um, you know, how, how I came to know who you are is, you know, one day listening to Spotify and the song Home comes on, which is an amazing song. And it's one of those things like some songs like they stop you and you're like, I better add that to a playlist. And other ones are right. like, I'm going to add that to a playlist, find my husband and make him listen to this right now. <laughs> one of those songs and it occurs to me that uh you know you hear something you love it for whatever reason but you don't really know what it is but it's just the tip of an iceberg basically of this whole story and character and sort of um tragic messiah sort of narrative <laughs> that you developed behind it that had um all kinds of uh wild intricacies um and that's that's uh, that's pretty crazy. Um, what can you tell me about that song, Out of Curiosity? Because I know that a lot of people know that song, and I yeah. personally love it. Yeah. Um, so I, the last time I was referring to at the beginning of this, where I, I that I actually turned everything off and sort of dropped out of society momentarily just to sort of be with myself, was um, around 2006, 2007. And uh, I, I, I broke up with my girlfriend, I moved out of the house, I stopped using a car, I stopped using a cell phone, I, um, I left AA, which I was, you know, like, it was a big part of my life at the time. And, um, and I felt really sort of vulnerable, but it was sort of required. And, um, and I started just sort of like trouncing around Echo Park, Los Angeles, um, with a bunch of other folks that seemed to almost be in the same mindset as me. And one of them was uh, Jade, uh, who ended up, you know, singing home with me. And um, I had started writing these songs um, that would eventually become the, the first album. And one of them uh, was this sort of just cowboy song that I was writing. And I was really, as a kid, um, all the Ennio Morricone, like the Italian sort of envisioning of the Wild West, I was really taken with the sort of hyperbolic cinema, cinema of that. But particularly, um, 
uh, Ennio Morricone scores for those spaghetti westerns. And in those scores, and my dad would play them for me when I was a kid, but in those scores, there's a lot of um, a lot of sense of um, time and place, but also a lot of uh, haze and hoes, like a lot of grunts and um, sort of like a lot of a lot of people, like a gang, sort of shouting and grunting. And and so I started adding, you know, hey, to a lot of the music, but particularly home and um, and trumpet and, and all this stuff. And so I had this track sort of there. And Jade and I went out one day uh, running around barefoot in, uh, in the park, Elysian Park. And um, we came back and she I played the song for her and she was lying on the bed and I was sort of like I wonder what I should do with this and I'm, I'm starting to mess around I think I had the melody um, for the verses uh, and maybe I had the melody for the chorus but all I remember is her shooting out of the bed and going give me the mic <laughs> and I just hand her the mic and she's like press record and I press record and she just comes out with Alabama, Arkansas, I do love, like she just, it just struck her. Um, so she came up with that sort of uh, first line and then we just started spitting lines back and forth and the song was basically made, um, the lyrics uh, were written all that day. And um, we were best friends, we weren't lovers yet. Um, and so that song, and I think that that's important to me uh, to remember because, um, that song has this sort of friendship aspect. It's not like a back that it's not like a sexual ballad. It's not a sort of a grimy sort of like booty shaker. It's like this really earnest song about like loving someone and being friends and being together. And that's how we felt about each other. I mean, it was the most romantic friendship of my life. And of course, you know, soon after that, we did end up sort of. Um, rolling it over into um, lover loverdom, um, <laughs> but that's a whole other story. Um, but yeah, and and I just one last thing is like as soon as we recorded that, and probably that night, the earnestness, uh, rock and roll, fuck, rock and roll. I I had succumbed to the idea that that there was sort of this edict about rock and roll where you know earnestness was really illegal. You could I, I felt comfortable being sarcastic, ironic sardonic, um, pessimistic, uh, aggravated, but I'd never felt comfortable being earnest. Um, it had been a long time since I'd felt comfortable being earnest. I was sort of really entrained with this idea of sort of the grunge mentality, the punk rock mentality. And, um, and suddenly on listening to that song, the demo, I was just like, holy shit, this has been missing from the cultural fabric of society for quite a while. I think people are going to realize that this is something they didn't know they'd been missing. I think they're going to have the same experience I'm having right now, which is like, fuck, this is a breath of fresh air. Um, so sometimes people ask, like, did you know the song was going to be big? And I just did because it presented something that was that had been missing, I felt, from from culture, which is sort of like this earnest representation of love and sort of a jubilation that had been sort of crossed off as um as almost embarrassing in the post hippie you know failure of post hippie uh life yeah why do you think people need some 
earnestness or sweetness in their life? What, what about that is special that, that they had been foregoing? Well, I think that earnestness and courage are really tightly related. Um, I think that irony and armor are really tightly related. Um, irony probably being the opposite of earnestness. And, you know, um, to don the armor of irony um, or self-deflation or, um, or self-effacement or pessimism. I mean, I think the best way to think about it for me is in terms of the differences between pessimism and optimism. Um, but, you know, where, where one really requires um, courage because failure is um, a very present option. And I think earnestness is very much the same. If you're going to be earnest, um, the prospect of failure is right there. In fact, you're probably going to fail because most things in life we fail at. I mean, that's how we learn. I mean, failure is the act of learning. Um, and yeah, so every time I've been earnest in my life, um, or I think that anyone's earnest in their life, they're putting themselves out there in a way where, you know, they could feel the pain of the drop. And, um, you know, as opposed to being ironic or suiting yourself up in some sort of protective gear, emotionally protective gear. And, um, and so I think that earnestness really is important. You know, the importance of being earnest is, um, is legitimate because it essentially provides us with the crucible to test the, the metal of our, of our um, courage. I like that a lot. It almost sounds like vulnerability as well. Yes, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's. I mean, I find myself extremely vulnerable. In fact, I'm not so sure that I feel as vulnerable as I as I do when I'm when I'm earnest. I'm not even sure it's possible to feel vulnerable um, without being earnest. I'm sure I could get up on stage and be, you know, and feel vulnerable and therefore commit to irony, which is actually something I used to do all the time or confrontation or sarcasm. Or, but the reality is on stage, like the true reality of humans is that we want to be joyful. Like that's what we want. We may say we want other things, but when, you know, we're kids, we're all children to me. And if you're going to get on stage, that means you're at a show and tell. And that means you wanted to be there to show, to share with everyone. But because of the pain and frightfulness of sharing something intimate with everyone, you know, we don different masks, we stare at our shoes, we uh, hide ourselves in whatever, in makeup, or we, you know, whatever it is, uh, we get sar we, we're sarcastic. Um, we, we shoot ourselves in the foot so that, you know, before anyone else can, which is the premise of a lot of, you know, self-effacing or irony or dressing down or anything like that. Um, but on stage, it's really like, um, it comes into real sharp relief. Um, the differences between earnestness and irony, the, the, the feeling of, um, of vulnerability um, and, and what to do with it, how to handle being vulnerable on stage. Because I think we can get away with a lot of um, hiding when we're off stage, but on stage, and this is sort of an, an irony, um, but on stage, even if we're donning different personas, we're, you know, we have a different name, we're dressed up in masks, um, the stage really requires our honesty, 
our vulnerability because that's what's powerful. That's what people want to watch. That's what makes a great performance, even if it's someone, you know, an actor donning some other name and suit and persona. The performance itself is only going to be great if they lend the character their honesty. And I mean, that's the premise of um, method acting is to really bring your own emotions into the role. And my mom's a stage actress, so I grew up with that whole sort of um, thing around. But um, yeah, I think vulnerability is fucking everything in art. Are there any other musicians working now that you feel have this earnest quality we're talking about that you admire particularly? Yeah, yeah, there are. One of the, one of, someone who inspired me, we, we were opening for them in, um, when I was in I'm a Robot, and um, the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs, and Karen O. Oh, I remember watching her and how she handled her own sense of, sort of the absurdity of being on stage, the absurdity of being up there mixed with the joy of being up there mixed with the angst of being up there um, and, and allowing herself to have, I guess what I would call personal moments. Um, and I had always really been, you know, active in the idea of allowing myself to have personal moments on stage. But I, I think in some ways she was the first person that I, that I resonated with in that way. Um, the way she would laugh to herself um, on stage. I was like, oh, fuck, okay, there's someone else who's, who's being like, honest about what it is that's happening on stage. You know, Not a performance, but a letting in, a, re a revealing. And I think that those are the kind of performances that I'm, you know, so compelled by. I'm, I'm, I'm honestly a little hard pressed to think of too many others. Um, there's so many great artists, but there aren't that many performers who allow for the private moments, um, who allow for the, for those moments that really strike you as of the moment, not prepared. Um, not like sort of four hour benefit, but really porous moments where we really feel like we're, we're looking in on someone's moment. And um, yeah, I just think it's, uh, I think it's actually slightly rare. I think my, probably one of my favorite performers, a fucking straight master um, who's no longer alive, but Jacques Brel, um, all the videos, uh, the film of him performing is like, you know, sort of the height of what I'm talking about. Yeah, I feel like so many artists are such amazing professionals these days, you know, just consistently yes. turning out an experience that's great, you know, that people come there for. Um, but what's lost with polish might be some of this quality that you're talking about. Yes, indeed, yeah. Hey, Ian, did you hear we were on a dating news site? Hansa, I never thought we would get this far. I'm so excited. Tell tell us more. Well, basically, they think maybe because we told them, or actually, they had their their own ideas that you know if we think about death more often. We'll treat the people we care about better because we'll remember that they could die at any time, and we should treat them well. Better relationships, everything, and it's all coming from what we're doing here, listening to uh, this podcast. So, Ian, how can people support us? 
Well, we'd really appreciate it if you would check out our Patreon page. So many of you already have, and we'd appreciate you to do so. If you haven't, we have some awesome subscriber benefits. And at our highest, your most generous tier, we have some pretty neat um, Live Immediately mugs. We also have We Croak Leap on, on the iOS version of the We Croak app, which has a, our biggest database of quotes ever, over a thousand, if you could believe it, um, and weekly challenges that you and your neighbors and everyone around the world gets to do. Um, so we, we couldn't be happier with, um, with all that. And thank you so much for, for listening to, to our show and, and for taking the time to go so deep with us here on the We Croak podcast. You know, these episodes are, are pretty hefty and pretty in-depth. And we're so excited that, um, that you appreciate it and that you've uh, continued to, to believe and be part of the We Croak universe. So thank you. Yeah, thanks for being with us on this little commercial. And now back to the death. So you made this character, Edward Sharp, uh, who kind of took over the world with this like really charismatic earnestness, this, this story. And then, um, you know, you're, you put him on the shelf for a little bit to do some solo career and do some other stuff. Um, how, how are you different from Edward? And what made you sort of strike out in another direction? Well, um, Edward, <laughs> it's funny to speak about myself slash Edward in third person because I really feel... Edward is a part of me. I mean, that that is me. But um, that's the part of me that is, um, how would I describe this, um, dogmatic in his approach to um, energetics, basically, and positivity. Um, and the and and dogmatic in in my approach to the uh, what is best for the sort of communal whole um, emotionally what am I going to commit to uh, lyrically um, with Edward I really had the group in mind but more than the group by the group I sort of mean humanity in mind so I wouldn't allow myself to indulge in in the more personal emotions uh in the more the more personal situations situational lyrics that speak to maybe a loss of love or um or you know personal troubles or uh senses of personal despair um my sense with edward sharp was i always wanted to i had to always felt sort of obligated to keep um, the silver lining uh, present. Even, even. I mean, I, I did let that go from time to time, but the ideas that I would commit to, like in a song like uh, They Were Wrong or Life Is Hard or uh, This Life, all of them still had, they're, they're fairly dark songs, but they're communicating totally universal or ideas that I felt were totally universal, most of them to deal with more dealing with mortality, and um, and the courage it takes to live uh, through life, um, knowing that that's sort of on the horizon. Um, but with 
a break breaking up with my baby mama and the break sort of dissolution of the family unit and um and also you know dealing with my own sense of um suddenly feeling like a like a simulacrum of some kind of like you know fake hippie uh poster child thing um where you know suddenly there were you know, and, I, and I'm not talking shit here, but there were a lot of bands that seemed to sprout out immediately after us that sounded extremely like us. Um, it became like a whole sort of genre. And suddenly I didn't feel any longer. Um, I didn't want to. I, I don't know. It, it became sort of overly and overtly commercialized all the haze and hoes and the singing back and forth and the acoustic guitars and the four on the floor drum, the whole damn thing. Like every Honda was being sold with some song that, you know, sounded enough like home that people would call me and be like, congrats on the new commercial. I'd be like, that's not my song. Oh, um, oh my goodness. <laughs> um, you know, it happened with an Apple commercial, with a Honda commercial, with a, I, I, it was constantly happening. And, um, and so I just kind of needed a break. Um, from it, it got a bit disorienting because what I was trying to communicate and give the musical community, I guess, was a sense of porousness and unprofessionalizing professionalism of breaking through the sort of slick packaged stuff and um, committing something that was, um, you know, messier and uh and whatnot and then instead what happened was you know what typically happens which is something that is sort of raw but gets but breaks through gets then iterated on in slicker and slicker ways and um and so suddenly i felt like the general message i was trying to communicate um had been partially missed enough so that i that i um i just had to break free for for a second yeah yeah i've in preparation of um, getting to talk to you today, I was listening to some of the old Edward Sharp and Magnetic Zero stuff, and also you have a new album this year, um, so some of the new stuff. And, uh, you know, it just seems Edward Sharp always has an answer ready, a, you know, a bit of dogma, as you say, sort of a, a spiritual sort of idea that will make it worth going through and better. And mm -hmm. your new album... You know, it's a little, um, you know, not as confident in that way that you have all the answers. And that felt very vulnerable and real. Mm. Um, I'm thinking of this song, I Smoke, um, mm -hmm. you know, just to remember you, which is a really kind of a, a very sad song. And I'm wondering <laughs> if it has a story behind it. It does. I was hanging out with this girl and um, it's actually not about weed. It's about cigarettes. I have a very sort of... Um, Cigarettes represent to me sort of su uh, suicidal behavior or the the death urge, as maybe, you know, psychoanalysis an analysis <laughs> uh, would say. But um, yeah, and 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 yet uh, that that compulsion to sort of confront death also creating romance because the 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 present moment will will leave us and um, and becomes ever more romantic because of that. And so there was this girl. Who was smoking cigarettes and I really didn't smoke much but when we were together I was smoking and um, and then she left um, and I found myself you know literally doing what's sort of 
you know, the lyrics are portending, which is just um, continuing on with the sort of smoking as this form of remembrance, almost as a, as in some ways what, what they, what cigarettes or tobacco was initially sort of used for, a ceremonial, um, for ceremony, but my own, you know, um, <laughs> totally um, engrossed social um, socially sort of despondent ceremony where I was trying to recall and um, and refluff up the sort of imagery of uh, of being with this person by smoking cigarettes and um, and I think that I think on the whole you know when I think about like the cinema of my mind and and um, you know and 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 the hero's journey in a way um, there's a certain um, glorification that I, I'm totally susceptible to of um, of essentially things not working out. Um, there's something glorious about the the lone wolf abandoned or the sort of the, the dream deferred, um, the contender who could have been. Um, all those things, I mean, movies are constantly being made about these things because they are sort of inherently romantic. And I definitely suffer from... Um, sort of viewing my um, my sort of perceived failures as um, as romances and uh, I guess that song is a decent uh, version of that yeah so also uh, the song miracle basically starts mm. with your daughter asking you about death yes uh, tell me a little bit about that that construction yeah uh, so one day, um, my daughter literally just says that, um, boy, Papa, you, you talk about death or why are you always talking about death? <laughs> and I thought it was so cute, um, and accurate <laughs> and, and intelligent and, um, that, you know, uh, like when, when, when Eartha, my daughter, when she was starting probably at the age of three, she started asking me about, you know, things dying and um, and do these things die? Do mountains die? Um, you know, she's she's got this incredibly um, matter of fact way about her sort of. I don't know if I'd call it well adjusted, but she seems to have a sort of incredible head on her shoulders uh, and view things like that sort of with just a matter of factness that I'd certainly never had. It doesn't seem to rattle her. She just really wants to know. And, you know, and she'll talk about death um, constantly, but in, in the most matter of fact terms, um, without even a dash of, um, you know, nostalgia for a life that once was or whatever. Um, you know, not to say that she doesn't get sad, um, constantly or whatever it is uh, like we had this little chicken that she found and cared for and then it died um and various little moments like that but um when she said that i was like god that's the i've got to fucking write a song about this uh, conversation um you know because it, i was driving her through colorado and she was in the back seat and she just kept asking what happens when this happens? Okay, but then if that dies, and then are we like that? Like, do we decay? How does the mountain die? 
um, well, you know, wind and rain and water slowly come and, and you know, corrode the, uh, the surface and sort of diminish it and then get flushed into the, you know, it's just like these, these, uh, these conversations. I was like, this is, um, this is definitely something I want to write about because what a conversation to have with your kid. It's not something I even had thought about um, having you know, with her, I knew I was, I, as a parent, you grow up being like, okay, there's going to be the sex talk. There's going to be, um, I don't know. Uh, that's about it. Right. <laughs> but then you realize you're a parent. You're like, oh boy, there's a lot, there's a lot of talks, you know, and, um, and the predicament of life, the, the predicament of life being the predicament of, uh, of death is, um, is among the most important, I think. I certainly didn't really have that with my dad. You know, all he looked, he looked at me and said yes, and that was it. So it was nice to be able to have that conversation with her. Yeah, it's a, it was a beautiful sort of story within the song. And then uh, I also saw the video of um, you on Stephen Colbert dressed in like a green screen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How, I would just curious what the sort of um i don't know the performance part of your job of being a musician and sort of the styles and the the needing to make a graphic image like what's your what's your relationship to that side of the business um sometimes i think it's total bullshit but i think that given my interest in um in cinema uh and that i wanted to be a movie director i mean for the first like four years of I'm a robot when my managers would call me and give me shit I'd be like I don't even care about fucking music this is my hobby bro I'm a, I'm a filmmaker <laughs> you know like I, I I was really into the idea of just making film and so one of the great benefits of being a musician is uh, being able to sort of think about things visually um, think about music videos think about story think about you know interesting ways to communicate ideas um, and on the other hand you know, there's a certain gimmickry, uh, gimmickiness to it. Um, there can be. I remember really being disg <laughs> uh, disgusted for a moment when I asked someone, uh, you know, this is my perfect example, but um, when I asked someone, like, how was, uh, how was, the, how was the Jack White show? Uh, he had played with just his own thing, I think. Oh, it was amazing. Um, all the guys were in red. And all the girls were in white. And I was like, Ugh, what kind of, that's the answer? Like, that's how good, that's the show. Like, how is that, how does that describe if the show was good or not? And what I realized is that, you know, so often we're really just sort of looking for um, some hook uh, to hook in an audience. And part of that really depresses me. But, if, I, if you can do something that you feel is new, like for instance, late night TV, like the Colbert, the Colbert people uh, were so against the idea, they'd never done it ever, first of all, but they were so against it um, that the Friday before the Monday performance, the director, we all had a conference call and he said, we can't do this, it's not gonna work. I was like, why? He's like, it's gonna look terrible. People won't know what they're looking at. I was like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, like his his view of it was that was that the, the very thing that I wanted to create in the audience um, was a bad thing. Um, 
which speaks to, you know, how novel it was. And so when, when you're able to do something that's sort of novel, I think that that's, that's always going to be exciting. Um, uh, you know, essentially you feel like an inventor, but, um, but so often those moments are fairly rare and so often, you know, honestly, sometimes I just really wish that, uh, that the day and age of like, I, that I was a, a songwriter and it was like the 1800s and I wrote songs on fucking scrolls of paper. They got passed around the United, you know, the, the world and people would play them on player pianos and sing them in bars and no one who would know who the fuck I was, except that I, they loved my songs, you know, something a little more pure like that. When I, when I won a golden globe or before I won this golden globe for scoring a movie, I was suddenly thrust into the, the milieu of sort of composers and um and i went to this composer dinner and it was all these older composers all in suit but they were like it was just a pure vibe in there everyone was just a musician they weren't anything else they weren't rock stars um they were musicians they were composers it felt it felt really pure their names are never on screen just just on the titles and that's that they're, they're purely of service and sometimes i really fucking wish um, that rock and roll, you know, um, would get back to a place like that. Yeah. Um, and yet we love our spectacles, don't we? We sure do. <laughs> so you are, uh, in New Orleans, which has been pretty hard hit by this, you know, pandemic and, yeah. uh, staying at home, I imagine like all of us are, um, you know, I think around 50,000 Americans are dead, at least of this recording, yeah. huge economic kind of stuff. And I'm wondering if you have any thoughts about what music needs to do now, or what are you looking for from the music you're listening to? And what do you think needs to happen to respond to this moment? Hmm. Well, uh, I think we need to talk about it. I think that, um, you know, I've already started sort of like I, I have a song, a new song that sort of uh, touches on it. Um, I think there's a lot of things that, that um, conversationally are going to be cracked open by this. I mean, politically, socially, certainly, but also um, artistically um, in terms of um, sort of a, a val the valuation of life and community and togetherness and... Um, and mortality and, um, you know, sort of what's important. Um, and one thing I think, you know, a, a, an amazing upshot of this is that the very thing I was trying to communicate with Edward Sharp and the porousness and the rawness and the almost demo-like demo quality of recording, inviting people in and having things be rougher, is I, I believe that a big upshot of this is that people's ears are, are starting to attune uh, to um, home live performances, to rough demos, to things that artists can only basically create by themselves in their apartments, in their houses, without giant uh, productions, uh, that people are starting to tune, attune to, uh, you know, projects that are being done with, like, you know, no budget, uh, listening to you know, really slick artists do home performances that are super raw and actually realizing that they enjoy them more. Um, and I think that that is going to have a really positive 
um, and is already having a positive effect on the way we consume uh, music and art. I like that. Are what about uh, collaboration? Obviously, it's it's hard to do right now because you can't go hang out with the band. Mm-hmm. Is this going to be a time of really like solo performance, introspection, that kind of thing? Is that what's going to power music, or are people going to find ways to you know um, Zoom collaborate and create music that way? Well. Uh, yeah, um, we have to get to zero lag somehow because the time, um, the time lag um, on those, you know, on a very on zooms and whatnot is just enough that it still would fuck up, um, you know, a, a musical collaboration in real time. Um, so I think that once that happens, um, then yeah. I think that there's going to be a lot of distributed performance. Um, you know, I mean, musicians could be like, you know, a collective diaspora just happening all at once. Um, and I think that'll be really interesting. But um, until that platform is built, um, I think I think what people are going to really cherish and probably what it, what I'm imagining is going to happen is that once we come out of this pandemic a bit and things get a little bit more slick and present you know things are being presented in a slicker way it'll be it'll be eaten up but i think that i don't think that we'll be able to shake off our our memory of when it was raw and um and when it was a little more personal and i think it's going to have a an effect in terms of collaboration um you know sending people i think a lot of production uh already was uh, being done in a distributive fashion, but um, I think now that's the only way it's going to get done, really. So you know, we're, we're making a new Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros album, and I'm going to send people. You know, they're sending me tracks, I'm sending them tracks, sending them back, building the tracks. Um, you know, while not being together, and we'll see how that goes. You know, like typically, one would think that it's going to be less organic, but what art really is the moment of inspiration it's 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 two things one is being inspired by the people in the room and then the other is being inspired by what you come up with you know it's it's you and the universe you and god you and fucking your own psyche you and your memories and i think that that communication is um in a in a being shared in a way that is um integrated into a groupthink sort of premise, I think will be really interesting to see what each person comes up with on their own, not under the influence of someone else in the room, you know? I like that. Just you and the universe, you and your life, your time. Yeah. Uh, right back to, um, you know, these themes of death and uh, what we're going to do with our lives before then. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, when is that album going to come out? Do you have any idea? No, I'm finishing up uh, my my the solo the solo album was supposed to be a double album, but I split it into two. So I'm finishing up part two of Iversai, and then um, as soon as I'm done with that, I'm jump going to jump into the Edward Sharp album. So I believe we will be able to come out with the Edward Sharp album before the end of the year. Very cool. Yeah, it seems to me like you know one of those. Well, let me ask you actually: Is this 
an earnest, a time that calls for earnestness, a time of like, we're all in this together. Um, let's be confident, know we have answers, or is it a time for something else? Some of the more like, you know, getting into our darkness, our indulging in our personal human emotions. Um, I'm not sure I have a, a sense of that yet. Um, I think that with Edward Sharp, for me, it's going to be about the collective and, um, you know, and, and, and humanity and the moment. Um, it'll probably, you know, I mean, dire times, what they actually call for are generally, you know, the, 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 the greatest, um, you know, so-called slums in history often produce um, the most jubilant music in history. And, um, and that's because we actually fucking need it um, when times are tough. So I think um, celebrating the human spirit is not just going to be sort of an intellectual choice that musicians make, but rather a fundamental biological need um, that humans are going to sort of require. And so I think we'll see, um, I think we'll see sort of, we'll see some of that springing up. Um, and, and at the same time, I think, you know, shit is, it depends how our governments handle things. You know, I, I think a lot, a lot of this really depends because if a lot of people are in a lot of pain and there's a lot of corruption and not a lot of caring, um, you know, things could get pretty, pretty funky pretty quickly. And, um, and music will of course reflect that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I love that prediction that as things get dark, you know, our music will perhaps also have a lot of jubilation because we need it. Um, yeah. That's, that's really, um, you know, gets right to the core of what we need music for is to connect mm -hmm. us with that feeling of life is worth celebrating no matter what. Yep. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, well, Thank you, Alex, for <laughs> Thank you so much. joining us today and talking about your career and about death and about your work. Um, uh, if uh, any of our listeners really want to find your music, find you, where, where should they go? Um, I'm doing the most stuff on Instagram right now. I, I do, you know, live shows and all the stuff we're kind of talking about. I even talk about, I'll just talk to the camera and, and talk about whatever. Um, so Instagram, yeah, it's Alex underscore ebert um that's my handle all right thank you so much yeah. and have a great day thanks so much thank you again alex ebert for joining us for this episode be sure to check out all of his songs particularly home on your favorite music platform of choice and until then we'll see you next time